It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Today is Sunday, September 6th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman, episode 373, featuring Boston Globe National NBA columnist Gary Washburn is powered by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag today for your free sign-up bonus. All right, everyone, welcome in. Another edition of Celtics Beat, and I know, based on uh, where we probably thought we'd be a few days ago, this is a little confusing. It's a 2-2 series, Celtics-Raptors, and one of the big questions that we will get into, of course, is here in this East semifinal series, who is now, after two straight Toronto wins, in the driver's seat? Let's get into it. Gary Washburn covers the seas in the entire NBA for the Boston Globe. Of course, our producer, Evan Valenti, is here with us as well. I'm Adam Kaufman. Gary is inside the bubble, has been for two months, has about six more weeks ahead of him. How are you holding up? Oh, everything's fine. Yeah, I don't like to complain about things, and, and <laughs> it's, it's, it's fine. Uh, you have to get used to your routines here, take, taking your daily tests, taking your own temperature and oxygen saturation levels, uh, get used to the schedule, what time buses come and what time the games are, and the time practices are. So it's just a schedule uh, routine, and you just get used to it, and you try to make the best of it. We'll get to the Celts in a sec, but uh, I would think one of the benefits is, and I don't know if this is you as an NBA fan or if it's part of the job or if it's frankly both, but, you know, this is an incredibly unique situation for a zillion reasons. But one of them is the fact that you can go and see all these teams play in the playoffs. I mean, normally, obviously, in the postseason, these games are scattered all around the country, all around the world, when you consider the Toronto Raptors as well, north of the border. But you can just go and, uh, you know, at, at your leisure, check out all these teams that are still remaining in the playoffs. It's got to be pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, um, it's sort of like a basketball convention, in a sense. So, yeah, you can go to practices. You can go to whoever's game. Uh you know, and if you're a basketball fan like I am a junkie, you know, you want to watch all the playoff games. They're big games. All the games are now are big. Uh, it's not just, you know, two teams playing, you know, trying to fight for the eighth spot now. This is uh, playoffs. This is a real deal. So all conference semifinals are here. So, yeah, every game is big, and it's awesome to be able to go uh, to kind of the game of your choice and check teams out where, obviously, as you said, if they'd been the regular season, we'd be watching these games on TV. Not to ask kind of a stupid question, but does it feel as big as it normally does? I mean, typically, not this time of year, but this time of season, you're traveling and you're going to all these important games. And 
you know, it's, it's an incredibly different environment. You have fans, you have families, you have loud crowds, you have atmosphere, you have what goes on outside the buildings. Here in this situation, I mean, in a lot of cases, although it looks and, and feels a lot nicer in this, I mean, these are glorified, you know, high school games from a, a standpoint of what it's like watching on TV when there's obviously no one in the stands. you got the fans that are zooming in on, on the video boards, and the NBA has done a phenomenal job of – of making all of this work. I think the product is unbelievable, all things considered. But in terms of the atmosphere, these we've talked about this in the past, at least prior to these games getting going. These players, they don't have the crowd to feed off of as they normally do. And I think for a lot of these teams and players specifically, you're seeing the result of that. When you're inside and you're watching these games, do they feel as big as it you know usually does for you? I mean, I think it's – I mean, these are this... – Teams are playing like 16, 17 games down here. They're used to it by now. I, I think at first, yeah, it was a big deal. But now I think these are games and these guys are going at each other and these guys want to win. I mean, yeah, the crowd, the lack of crowd does, it's awkward at times when there's big plays and there's no cheering or no booze or things like that. Uh, the crowd noise is piped in. So uh, does that have a big effect on it? Eh, at times. You can hear it. It, it, it. It's definitely better than the place being silent uh, because you only have, like, let's say uh, three, you know, you have some families in now, but before you only had, like, team officials, so they'd be clapping or whatever, and then everybody else was just watching the media, the people that work at the arena, the scorekeepers, the people that uh, do all the stadium, or, you know, arena effects. So, I mean, yeah, it was awkward at first. Now I think everyone's used to it. I don't think it's no it's no excuse as well. The crowd was I wasn't into it because the crowd wasn't into it wasn't there. I mean, you could use that before, but now these guys are trying to go at each other. They're cutting try to each other throw it out. So, like, I don't think Russell Westbrook is going to turn around and say, well, "Well, I wasn't motivated because the fans weren't there." Like these these guys want to win championship. In in these circumstances, this is probably the toughest circumstance considering you're away from your family and the quarantine. Yeah, it's no travel, but. You know, they're playing games every other day. There's no breaks here. And, you know, teams are tired. I mean, these guys have been here for three, almost three months now. So these guys are, these guys are worn out. There's loads of stuff, Evan, and I want to get to with you concerning the Celtics, obviously, and some other things off the court as well. And we'll get to all that here in the next little bit. Let's start with the C's, though. Personally, I imagine a lot of fans feel the same way. I'm uh, I'm not over the Game 3 loss, quite frankly. In fact, Game 4 doesn't sting nearly as much to me as Game 3 does just because of the way that thing ended and the defensive lapses that happened there at the end. And as usual, Marcus Smart seemed to be the only one that knew exactly what was going on and you know where Jalen or Tice or anyone else had to go in that moment to defend O.G. on. Uh, Anunoby, uh, Anunoby, uh, who uh, obviously went and, uh, and hit that winning three-pointer. But, you know, it, it happens. But then the impact of Game 3 on Game 4, where the Celtics, and I know they came out after the fact, Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, guys talking about, hey, we didn't play hard enough. We didn't play, uh, you know, as energetic as the other side did. You wrote about the lack of desire from the Seas as well in that game. And you know, maybe it's semantics at a certain point too. you know, some of these default cliches that players rely upon after a loss. I, I think what it just boils down to is obviously the Raptors were out better. They were, were better. They outplayed them. They, you know, they played smarter than the Celtics did in that game. How surprising was it to you that the Celtics came out the way they didn't perform the way they did in the wake of game three? Well, I don't think it was as much like the way they came out. I thought they were okay. I mean, 
I thought the first half was okay. I thought a big play. I mean, it's just this this series in this this in the last two games has been a series of of little things that have added up to big things. Like I thought the end of the first half where the Celtics had they had made a run, Shimmy hit a three, made a lay. I think Shimmy scored seven straight points, and they were had the ball up three. And with the ball, okay, I just said that, had the ball up three. I think Kimba tried to do a two-for-one, missed a three. Toronto comes back, and then they miss their shot, but they get the offensive rebound, and Van Vliet hits a three at the buzzer. So instead of you being up five or six and kind of saying, okay, Toronto, we took your best shot, and we're still up six, the game is tied. And I just think that mentally – was debilitating for the Celtics. Obviously, he could still could have won the game, but little plays like that, things that are just happening over the last two games, uh, collapse, you know, small breakdowns like that, that where Kimba kind of rushes a three, trying to get the two for one, and they think they're going to get the two for one. Then, you know, Toronto gets its 30th offensive rebound of the game and then cashes it in for a three. And then I think the third quarters have been horrible, you know, like, they, they just get punched in the mouth. Toronto makes adjustments. The Celtics don't. Um, it was just a lot of little things um, in game four. And I just think that they ended up getting discouraged because shots weren't going down and some bad luck. Tatum misses two free throws. Tice turns down a 10-foot jumper to try to fire a pass to Jalen at the three-point line. It goes, like things that are uncharacteristic. Marcus Smart hasn't been himself the last two games. Like he's missed – you know, he's missed all, you know, a lot of threes and he just hasn't made the plays. It's, so I just think they were in the second half kind of in a malaise. And um, I was surprised that they admitted they didn't play as hard. And I just think maybe they had the mentality, hey, we're still up 2-1 and we got, you know, four games to win two. We, all we got to do is go two and two and we're good. But um, that's not the way to look at it. Now you completely – let Toronto back in the series. They're feeling like they're feeling better. They're they're back in the Celtics' heads. And I thought the Celtics, uh, the most discouraging thing about game three to me was not the Ananobi shot. We can break that down and the break. I mean, a lot of good things had to happen for the Raptors. It was that what I noticed was that Toronto was about two, one or two plays from kind of throwing in the towel. Like they were getting discouraged. They were tired toward the end of the third, fourth quarter of that game. The Celtics need to make one shot or get one stop and maybe make it a two-possession game, and I think you're, they're done. Like, I, I just saw the Raptors' body language was like, ugh. I mean, we, we, we don't have it. And then there was the Van Vliet. Uh, and I think, they, you know, the Van Vliet gets the tying, tying layup. And then they lo- still allow tie, the tie stunk, and then here comes the three, and it just revived them. And this is such a mental thing. I mean – when you have the playoffs and you're here in the bubble, the last game is the biggest game. So the game last night, Denver and the Clippers, everybody's talking about that today, you know, and everybody's talking about the Celtics for so for 20 to 48 hours, the game you play is the biggest game discussed. Then tomorrow we'll be talking about Miami, whether they advanced and about the Bucks, And then we'll talk about Lakers Rockets. So you have to sit there on your TV or social media all day and hear about this game. So I think that got into this, the Celtics' heads, the constant replays of the Unanobi shot, 
the breakdowns of who didn't go where and who let Ananobi sneak to the baseline and, and why Jalen was sticking on Gasol, like all these things. And I think that messed with them. And, and this, they've got to be stronger than that. Like, I just, I, I don't think that's acceptable to say we didn't play hard. Like, I just, it, it was hard. Like, I just, it's good. Hey, we weren't good. Fine. Hey, we missed 28 three-pointers. Great. Hey, we just didn't have it. Fine. We didn't play hard enough. Like, no, that's, that's a disrespect to Boston fans and all the people who support this team that like, we weren't, it's not that we weren't good enough. We didn't play hard enough and they weren't good enough, but they were still two to three plays from winning that last night's game. Uh, two Matata missed free throws. Uh, I think it was a, like a, letting Lowry hit a three off a, off a inbounds pass that made it 11, like things that they can't let happen. They let happen. So I think, I think that what's even more debilitating was, like I said, I think they had the Raptors down, not at when they made the final shot, the Tice duck, even before then, and they didn't step on them. I agree with that. I think what's interesting about the Celtics team is they've gone so far with this young crew. They, you know, took LeBron in game seven, Tatum's rookie year. They've, they've been through some adversity, which is important, but you have a team on the other side with Toronto who's, just extremely well coached. They're, they've been there, done that, up and down that roster. And the, the thing that always resonates with me is it's really hard to kill off a team like this. Like you have to step on their throats as, as much as humanly possible as soon as you can. As you've been saying, a lot of these little plays allow Toronto to kind of sneak back into things and sneak back into things. And you let a team like this hang around enough, I mean, they have smart players. Kyle Lowry's been around for a long time. Fred Van Vliet plays like a, you know, a veteran who's been in the league longer than he has. Um, they're again, they're extremely well coached. They have Marcus All and Serge Ibaka. Both those guys have been playing for a long time, both internationally and you know in the NBA. So they've been through a lot of things, and it's just hard to kill a team. And you talked about it. That shot that on, uh, Ananobi hits gave that team life. And if you're up three zero, I, I agree with you. The body language wasn't looking great. I mean, Toronto got blasted in game one. Came to comes down to a couple little plays that end up going the Celtics way. I think Nick Nurse talked about how the 50-50 balls weren't going their way. They're going Boston's way, and it shows in the final score. And I even think in game three, Boston got lucky a couple of times with a couple of things, and Kemba makes an absolutely wonderful pass at the end of the game to find Tice down there, which was just you – know, I, I, I jumped out of my seat because it was the perfect basketball play to make instead of trying to force a shot, he makes the pass. And then just to lose on that shot, and I don't honestly – when you when a game comes down to the that kind of play, I don't really put a lot of stock into oh that play cost in the game. Well, you know, okay, sure, but you know, Brad Wanamaker, you know, turning it over four times because he forgets the dribble before he takes the step, you know, that also hurts. You could do this up and down the uh, up and down the game, um, but I agree with you. Like the the lack of effort, lack of playing hard, not playing smart. Like I, I think Toronto, I guarantee maybe you have something. Uh, different off here. I think Boston's made way too many mistakes in every single game this, this series. And, you know, they've gotten lucky a couple of games that it hasn't cost them. The last two it has. Because um, I think I was talking to Jared Weiss about this uh, after game one. Boston had, I think, 23 turnovers in that game. But only a handful of them were live ball turnovers. A lot of them were, you know, passes out of bounds and they could go back and set their defense. So Boston, if they continue to not play smart, Toronto's going to kill them because if you look in transition, they're deadly. But the half-court stuff, maybe not so much the last two games, but the first two games, Toronto looked completely lost in the half-court. And I honestly was astonished how immobile they were on the half-court and how nobody moved. It just it looked ugly. 
And if Boston's going to come back and, and get momentum back in game five, they have to turn the ball over less. They have to make less mistakes and they have to play harder. And I feel like it's weird that you have to say that, but it is, you know, and it's usually a, a, a Brad Stevens coach team is usually notorious for playing hard. It's usually what gets them to play above their weight. But the last couple of games, I haven't felt that at all. And the body language seems to have shifted a little bit where Boston looks like they're out of sorts and, and Toronto feels a little bit more sure of themselves, I think. In my opinion. Yeah, I think the some of the things is inexcusable, like a couple of the – like here's the thing, like this is this series is – every series is so individual, mm. right? Like Ananobi's been great in the series. So you got to react to that now. You can't treat him like a fourth option anymore. So leaving him last night for an open three in the third quarter is inexcusable to me. He was, I think before, I think after game three, he was eight for 14 from three. Like he's literally clutched at this point. So you can't keep, you know, you can't keep like treating him like a scrub or a, a defensive guy when he's killing you. The same thing with Ibaka. Like, you can't let it continue. Those threes he hit, the four for four were like, a lot of those were clutch shots. Like, just, you know, like, you can't let him open. That's it's, It is what it is. He's hot. It's just like a team reacting to Marcus Smart. Like, you just can't let – at this point, like, you can either hope he shoots out of it and, and goes down. But I don't know he's a 39% three-point shooter. That's a good clip. So – but Celtics have to start reacting to the situation. And then some of the lineups, I thought, like, you know, you got Grant in, in a critical – they had 11, you have Grant and Wanamaker in the game. Like, what's going on here? Like, you need offense, okay? You need to score with these guys. And, and Wanamaker can hit an occasional three, maybe penetrate the basket. Grant is offensively deficient at this point. He can, you know, get you maybe some – get to the line, maybe hit a, hit a three on a whim. But – the lineups I thought were, were were very bizarre. I do think they miss Gordon Hayward. They just missed that steadiness. When Jalen and Jason do need a rest, you can put Gordon in there and he can get you some offense. Um, I just think it is the little plays. Um, and if you break, break down, I said game three, I just thought they this team has a bad habit of taking the game for granted at times. And as we've seen even before the pandemic, like letting teams rally, come back from 20-point leads and take the lead. And I thought I thought they had Toronto. I think last night, Toronto was not great in the fourth quarter. Toronto did not close the game out. They, the Celtics sort of ran out of time, and they sort of didn't make enough plays, like the Tatum push-off. They were down five, 40-something, or 25 or 30 seconds left. Tatum scores the one-possession game. You know, you know, like, they had their chances. That's the frustrating part about last night it's not like they lost 110-93 where they were like they weren't in this they were in it and they kept kind of you know 11 to 6 11 to 5 11 to 8 like you know 11 point lead to 8 like they kept willing the lead down but they couldn't get that key you know sequence where boom three pointers and I thought in game three another like thing key point was the the beginning of the third quarter they were up 10, remember, uh, and they should have, like, two, three hoops here, a chance to really put some separation. What do they do? They allow uh, Van Vliet to take two steps, you know, like, step into two threes to make it a four-point lead, and suddenly the game, it's a game again. And Toronto's like, oh, we got, you know, we can we can rally. And 
Of, of course, they got outplayed the third quarter. They're getting killed in the third quarter. So it's just these little things. I don't know what makes this, this team lapse where Jason gets too cute with the ball. Marcus tries a, you know, a three off the fast break. To try, like, it's like, don't do the low percentage stuff. Don't do what has gotten you there. Do work the ball around, move the ball, get a layup. If it's Jalen in the quarter, okay. Like I take, I'll take my chances with Jalen. He had a terrible game in game four, but but you know, Mark Marcus Smart taking a, a pull up three off the break. No, um, Jason getting too cute with the ball and, and getting stripped. No, like you know, Tice taking an eighteen footer and early in the shot. Like there's things that they're not thinking, and the and the Raptors don't make those mis- having to make those mistakes. And so I think it's time for the Celtics to make serious adjustments. Adjust to Ananobi. He's a weapon. Adjust to Abaka. You can't let Abaka go for eighteen point like. That was a big point, okay, because they, they essentially have two scores. Like, Siakam had a good – but Siakam was two for 13 from the three-point line. Siakam won that great in game four. Like, oh, Siakam came back. No, he shot a lot, okay, and he, he got he, – he posted up, and he got Jalen. He, he got the best of Jalen in game four, but he wasn't great. You know, Lowry was not – look at his Lowry's numbers. He was not great. Van Vliet was not great. They were, they were solid. It was in Ananobi. And it was freaking Ibaka. That's what got him. And then seven missed free throws. Two from Tatum, guys that you got to hit your free throws. Like, it's just the little things are killing them in the last two games. Just a quick break to tell you folks, the wait is over. Football's back. NFL season returns this week. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Of course, NFL futures. You got the Chiefs, the defending Super Bowl champs. Plus 600, the Ravens, led by the reigning MVP, Lamar Jackson, plus 650. Saints, plus 1,000. The Niners, who were the Super Bowl runner-ups, same thing. The Buccaneers, now with Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. Even Leonard Fournette, as we know, at plus a grand as well. The Patriots, longer odds, plus 2,200, led by Cam Newton. We'll see what happens there. But Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure that you get in on everything imaginable this season from game spreads to totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. You can also get in on their season opening bonuses today. Start off wagering on win, division, and championship futures today. Head to Bet Online right now. Take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses and your online sports book experts. We're here with Gary Washburn talking C's, of course. And uh, Gary, you know, just building on what you were just talking about in part, the rotations and just what game four looked like, game three to a certain extent as well. And as we kind of spin that into game five, because naturally the team still doesn't have Gordon Hayward. I know he's coming back to the bubble soon, but he's not going to be available for a little while. And the C's, as you noted, clearly miss him. Jalen Brown has not been himself by any extent. Your guy, uh, Adam Himmelsbach, your colleague there at the Globe, noted in one of his uh, observations that uh, five for eight, Jalen on three-pointers in game one against Philly. Since then, 13 of 51 in seven playoff games. We know he missed his first nine out of the shoot back in game four. Uh, Jason Tatum was not himself. You can only rely on Marcus Smart to a certain degree offensively. And Kemba Walker, this is kind of my my biggest gripe within that game. And such a winnable game is that Kemba, and this happens occasionally, but not in the playoffs and not in a game like this. Just it shouldn't happen. He only took nine shots. And I don't understand how... Quite frankly, and I know to a certain degree, Brad Stevens is going to go out and let his guys play. 
I don't understand how that even is something the coaching staff lets happen, you know, how, or Kemba who, how is, how is sort of resourceful internally as he is to not know, Hey, instinctively, I need to go out and attempt at least to give my team another option to take over this game offensively as he has done so many times in the past. I was just looking it up regular season this year. If my numbers are right, cause I was kind of scanning it as we've all been talking, but six and four, I believe this year when the Celtics, uh, their record when Kemba only takes nine shots or less. And I think one or two of those games, he was knocked out early due to injury in a playoff game. And again, spinning this forward to game five, how does that happen? And how does he bounce back from this? He just has to be more aggressive. Um, and they were playing him differently. You know, um, they were they were not getting in the space that he had in games one through three. But I also think, you know, he was trying to be, be a distributor, but I just don't think he had his impact on his game. I think the same thing with Marcus. Like, you just didn't see them put their imprint on this game, on, on game four. And Kimba's a star, and he's got to play like a star. He's got to act like a star. Like, I need my touches, man. Like, I need the ball. You know, he can't be Mr., you know, eight points, 11 assists. That's not Kimba. Kimba's going to – he needs to score 20. He needs to match Lowry. Lowry ain't got no problems shooting the ball, right, attacking the rim, trying to get to the free throw line. Like, that's what he does. But, you know, and I just think the Celtics have the size advantage in a sense that, like, they're bigger besides Kemba. They're bigger in the front, in the back court. Okay, so they should have an advantage there, especially in, in some ways defensively. But Kemba's got to have an advantage. He's got to. He's lightning fast. He's got to get to the basket. You know, I don't think he gets enough calls. I don't know what the officials ever. He gets hit a lot, and they doesn't get like Lowry got six free throws in the first what four minutes. The other game, that doesn't happen to Kimba. I'm not saying, oh, they're against him, Celtic uh, conspiracy, nothing like that. For I'm sure that happened to him in Charlotte too. That he didn't get, he didn't get enough tough, get enough free throws. But he's got to be aggressive. But he's got to make it. They need to have an imprint. The last couple of games I saw, the first two games I saw, the three games I saw here in the bubble, when they really beat them in the city games and all that, they were just came out defensively, were locked down like they were intense covering screens, trapping, doing all the, the things that you do as a, as a team that really wants to beat the other team. I haven't seen that the last two games at all. Yeah, I think it, with Kemba, it's with me, I've always worried about Kemba in terms of, like, finding his way to – you've got to pick your battles. you got to pick your spots. And, and while he was gone, Jason Tam turned into, a, you know, an otherworldly one-on-one player and has showed a little shot creation, a little playmaking in the bubble here, which has been nice. Mm-hmm. You know, Jalen's been a nice number two uh, for for uh, for Jason for throughout a lot of this while Kemba was hurt. And my biggest concern was, is Kemba going to figure out when he needs to take the ball and take over a game? And what I saw at the end of game three where he took the ball, was dribbling it out, you know, got a screen, went around, and then got into the paint and dished it off to Tice for that dunk that was, you know, going to win the game at that point. I was like, this is a guy that totally gets it. Like, he doesn't have to shoot it. But he has to he has to make the plays. Like he has to be the guy that takes control of the game and 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 again, as you said, puts his imprint on it. And for Kemba to only take nine shots, I, I just find that a little weird because Kemba's just an otherworldly offensive player. I understand trying to get other guys involved, but again, it's him trying to figure out when like when it's not going well, he's gotta be selfish. I mean, you just gotta be selfish. Like, nope, give me the ball. 
I'm going to get us back in rhythm again. We got to go – because the way Toronto plays in transition, made baskets are a big reason how you can get back to your defense and stop them in the other end. Like, if they're going to get out in transition – and I love watching Toronto in transition. They move so well on the basketball. They fill lanes really well on the basketball. But the best way to beat them – uh, at their own game, essentially, is to make shots, get down to the other floor, set your defense. And the flip side of that, you know, getting a rebound and getting out and run and getting down to the other end of the floor before, you know, Toronto sets that zone up or if they whatever the hell, because they they switch between man, you know, uh, triangle and two, box. They switch all the time. So if you can beat that down the floor, you get easier baskets, and then things start to translate a little bit more. But Kemba, you know, between Jason and Kemba, those two, and Smart, too, because Smart just has his imprint all of the game at all times. Those guys specifically have to make sure the game is flowing the way they need the, the, the way they want to dictate the game. Because again, the, the past two games, it feels like to me that Toronto's dictated things a little bit more. And with Kemba, you know, I know it's his real first playoff experience going this far, um, but we know Kemba from his college days. Like he's not afraid of the moment ever. I mean, he's watching his run to the Big East tournament when I was in college was breathtaking, and to watch him go through the NCAA tournament the same way uh, was unbelievable. Um, but he's got to not shy away here and to defer to Jason Tatum or defer to somebody else. He's just got to take control and, and people will follow him because he's, you know, the one thing that's been great about Kemba and I hate bringing, you know, Kyrie back into this thing, but he, he is such a better teammate for this team and understands that, you know, on nights, I think after game one, it was a game one against Toronto where he was, or game two, where he said like, I played, I played like shit basically, but my, and normally when this happens, we get blown up by 50. But my team picked me up. Yeah, where he was bad until the fourth quarter. Right. Yeah. He, my team, my team picked me up and 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 carried us through. Uh, and and it means a lot to me that I you know I had a bad night and we were still win a playoff game against a really good team. Now Kemba has to do the, the opposite of that. When his teammate is when his team's not playing well, when Jalen's not playing well, he's got to say, "Look, Jalen, they're going to keep falling." He said that the other day. You just keep shooting; they'll keep falling. But you know, give me the ball, and I'll get us back into the rhythm again. And that's my biggest concern with Kemba coming back from the injury was will he be able to figure out when the game needs to be his? And so far, you know, he's had moments where he's done it. Game three at the end, big example. Fourth quarter in game one, big example. Um, but that can't happen anymore. Like that, you can't have a scenario where Kemba's not putting his fingerprints on the game because they're not going to win that way. They're just not going to. Yeah. I, I, uh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Adam. I was just going to say, I was just taking a closer look at the numbers too, and I'll just add to uh, the uh, – the nine shot thing of the 10 times that it's happened this year, four of those were when he was on the minutes restriction, when uh, they were, you know, in those six games in the bubble before the season uh, playoffs began anyway, during that resumption. So it's really been a, a more, if you even want to call it a trend, which I wouldn't, it's been more recently, obviously when he was getting worked back in, but he's long past being worked back in at this stage of the game, as we know. Yeah. I think he's a, obviously a very, a very key component here. Um, He's a guy who needs to make plays. I mean, th- this team has more, quote, I don't know if you want to call it star power, talent. Like, you got Tatum, you got Walker, you got Brown. Like, you got three guys who can make big plays. And then you got Smart, who's a wild card. But you've got to have guys, they've got to click, and they've got to, and they've got to be active, and they've got to be, how do I put it, like, uh, engaged. Um, I don't think Kimba was engaged, and I don't know why, in game four. It just seemed like he wasn't there. And Smart, you know, he's got a – okay, like he had a really big game two. He saved him. 
but he's got to start making these defensive plays. And I'm not talking about tackling guys and getting bad fouls and getting illegal, like um, what was a key, some key, key possession in the fourth quarter. He got an illegal pick um, on Van Vliet, like near, near the, near the uh, sideline, like mystifying fouls like that. Like they need to have um, total engagement in game five, and they need to come out and make a statement. They can't fall behind 18 to eight. Like, it's just like, they can't, we've already given Toronto all the confidence they need. You can't lay down because if you lay down and they lose two more games, like, I don't know what to say about this certain current team. Everyone said they're different after the Milwaukee debacle. If they lose this series in six and they, and and you're looking at the, the, the roadmap, okay, Miami's the only team to get through, and they and they match up well with Miami. It's the finals are here. The finals are attainable. <clears throat> okay, if Milwaukee gets knocked out, unless they make an improbable comeback from a three zero deficit, um, and they match up well with the Heat, it is there for the taking to get to the NBA Finals, and then you take your chances there. So this this, this is big. This isn't next year. This isn't wait. You know, well, you you signed Kimba for this year. You know, you you got rid of certain guys. You made all these adjustments. Like this is one of the years, and, and the East is open. Like this is the time. No more next year. No more Memphis pick. I'm I'm tired of hearing about the Memphis pick. Like, let's if you're the Celtics, like let's do this now. I so I think they have to have that mentality. This is our time. Last year was Toronto's time. This is our time. And, and let, but if, if you think that they're a better team, if you think that that you're not capable of doing well against the zone, and then I guess just give it to them. Because last night I felt like they just felt like, oh man, we're not hitting the threes. Like you got to do more than shoot threes. You got to you got to contribute more to the effort than than just making three pointers. If if not, attack the basket. Like, you know, it's, 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 it hasn't gone well. The Celtics, I'm looking, 34% threes in a series. Jalen, eight for 30. Um, you know, there, there's guys who are just not play, doing well. Marcus has hit 14 threes, but he's but a lot of five. We're in literally five minutes, three minutes. So they, they need to step up and make a statement. And, that's, and the crazy part is, is that, They've done it. Like the seeded game, they, they they literally took Toronto's lunch money in that game. Game one, same thing. Like, hey man, this is different. This isn't Dwayne Casey and Demar Derozan. Those teams used to beat up on the Celtics. This is this is a new day. You know, we own this, and they had it, and they played that way for two games, forty-seven minutes, fifty-nine point five seconds, and boom, they lost it. And I don't know. They got to find a way to get it back. Gary, before we let you go, because we've got you for a few more minutes. I know when we had you on just a couple months ago in July, obviously, as everyone was heading down to the bubble and before the season really resumed, we had a, a very extensive conversation about what is happening in sports, more so what's happening in this country concerning Black Lives Matter and so much more. And if anyone missed that conversation, I encourage you strongly go back uh, take a look. It was only uh, a couple months ago, that conversation, and it's just as relevant now as it was then, if not more so, because as we know, just recently, 
uh, finishing out the season, it appeared in question after a uh, very brief, anyway, few day uh, kind of strike for lack of a better term, but obviously players deciding, Hey, you know, this doesn't feel right in the wake of another police shooting, Jacob Blake. And uh, you know, the conversation goes on and players have just been uh, using their platform so phenomenally to, um, you know, illustrate what is happening and the change that they're looking to make. And, and we don't have nearly enough time to have a similar conversation of that caliber. But one thing that I do wonder, because I saw this tweet just a few days ago that I'm sure you saw as well from Donald Trump, which was players are tired or people are tired of watching the highly political NBA. Basketball ratings are way down. They won't be coming back. I hope football and baseball are watching and learning because the same thing will be happening to them. Stand tall for our country and our flag. Uh, So look, uh, people feel how they feel one way or another and very strongly at that about the president of this country. And that's not a conversation that we need to have right now, but clearly he and, you know, Laura Ingraham, you know, two peas of the same pod that believe athletes should just be out there and, and Hey, shut up and dribble. When he sends a tweet out like that, bothered me on a variety of levels. One of them on the most superficial level is that the product has been unbelievable. Even inside the bubble, the NBA playoff basketball has been incredible. What you cannot argue, though, unfortunately, about the tweet is ratings are down. Why do you suppose that is? Uh, I think there's a, a level of, like, doubt about the bubble basketball. I think people aren't into sports, guys. Let's be honest. Like, I used to have, for almost 20 years, I've been involved in this football, NFL football pool, you know, and you put your, uh, you know, every week and you make your picks. Mm -hmm. And two guys who run it were like, we're not going to do it this year. We're just not into football. Like I'm watching college football yesterday. Like, should they really be playing? Like, I'm not excited about the season. I'm a, my team's in the Pac-12. We're Pac-12 ain't playing. So my team, I, I can't even say anything anymore about, um, about literally uh, my team, Cal, but, like, I'm looking at college football, and I'm like, eh, you know, and I used to really be excited when college football. I was always watching game day. Now I'm like, I just think the spirit of the country is down. Um, And when it comes to sports, I think that some people are excited and are into it because it's a great distraction, and I think others are like, I'm just not that into it. When When I can go out, and, and see the sun and, and go somewhere without a mat. Like when I can be free again, quote unquote, um, I'll get back into sports. So I just think that the appetite of Americans, I think the hard, diehard basketball fans are loving this, but regular people, regular fans that like the playoffs, they just, they're not into it. It's September. And we're talking about game four, five of the Eastern Conference semifinals. It's just a weird time. So I don't think you can base it off of um, this. That's a really tough scale because I just think people are, are at this point, some people are just not into it. Some people are not into the NFL. Are you guys all into the NFL? Are you counting the days before the Patriots Dolphins game? Like it's sort of like, Oh yeah, they're playing, huh? Like it's, should they be, that's the first thing. Yeah. Well, should they be playing? And, How's it going to look with no fans? And am I going to really be into this? Like, this is the way it is right now. Like, there's an ambivalence towards sports. Um, And I think people thought the appetite for sports would be just crazy high because uh, 
of the pandemic, but I just think people who are just going through this every day don't particularly feel like it's, it's like they're not into sports right now. They're into their health. They're into their families. They're into, you know, just trying to, you know, make sure they're, everybody's okay around them or keeping their jobs or, uh, as you like you mentioned, the November election. Like, you know, they're into things that can shape this country. And as much as I think the NBA is great and it's fantastic for diehard hoop fans and, and, and more, you know, a lot of sports fans, I just think some people just ain't into it. Like, I don't, wouldn't be surprised if baseball ratings are down, NFL ratings are It's just like the, the spirit right now of the country, the morale with the pandemic, with the racial issues, and with literally, I mean, let's be honest, like every time you look up, one of your heroes is dying. I mean, this has just been a brutal year. I mean, just my goodness. I mean, it's just, it's just it won't stop. We have four more months of the year left. Um, I just think the, the spirit of the country is down. So I don't think you can judge ratings off of, off of this summer. Uh, I'm just glad to see the NBA back. Well, Gary Washburn, we don't want to hold you up because I know uh, there's playoff basketball for you to check out that doesn't involve the Celtics there inside the bubble. So I guess one of the benefits, obviously, of, you know, what has been an otherwise very strange year, as you noted, Gary, national NBA writer for the Boston Globe, covers the Celtics and everybody else, you know, ran out of time to get your thoughts on. Uh, I, I can keep going. Go ahead. Well, we were, we were just going to touch on uh, a, a couple of the changes around the league you know mike budenholzer and uh the fact that the bucks are down the ridiculous management of minutes for Giannis. i mean it's driving evan crazy by the way i i don't i don't get i just don't get it i just don't get it i don't understand how you don't play the two-time well soon to be two-time mvp 40 minutes a game just don't understand it it's driving me crazy i i (laughs) what else what else are you gonna do you you're down three you're about to lose as number one seed with the best record, best point differential in NBA history, you're about to get swept in the second round by the Miami Heat and Jimmy Butler, and Giannis isn't playing 45 minutes a game. That's crazy. It's crazy. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that – I don't know how I put this. Um, okay, so NBA coaches, I think Budenholzer, I mean, I think he got a real – uh, like we all saw what happened in Atlanta, right? They won 60 games and they lost to LeBron. They got, they got swept. Yep. That team had five all-stars, Corver, uh, Al Horford, uh, freaking, uh, yeah, I can't remember the Hawks. But I, I got to go back. Horford. Schroeder uh, was there. They, they have Jeff Teague at that point. Jeff yeah. Teague. He was there. He can, and um, what's the guy who plays for Denver now? God, um, power forward. They have to, oh, Paul Millsap, Damari Carroll. Yeah, like, so they had, I mean, that team was loaded, quote unquote, but they lost to LeBron. They got swept. Budenholz has got this reputation of being this really great coach. And, but he's never taken the team to the finals. Last year, they were up 2 0 in Toronto. They lost four straight. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, might be an indictment on him. And I think that some of these teams are so quick to hire who they think is the really smart guy. And maybe Budenholzer is a team, as uh, a coach, maybe he's the Marty Schottenheimer of, oh. maybe, he's the, <laughs> maybe he's the coach. That, Great reference. 
that, that can get you to the championship, you know, the conference championship, but not get you over the top. And I think that is this is sticking to him because they had everything set. They play they're playing a five seed, and essentially they're getting their butts kicked. And the same things that happened last year with the Toronto putting a wall against Giannis and the defense and Giannis getting exposed happened this year. And to me, um, that's unacceptable. Sorry, that's totally unacceptable. You can't um, have not make adjustments. And then Chris Middleton, who looks like literally Michael Jordan against the Celtics, <laughs> is suddenly reduced to like just kind of a three-point shooter. Kind of like he's not carrying him either. And you can't really trust Bledsoe. So all the, like, once Giannis goes down, all the other, it's that one game with you pull the thing and the whole thing comes down. Um, Denga. Denga, yeah. So, like, you pull Giannis out and everything falls. You do, I mean, last game, game three, they're, like, literally depending on Brooke Lopez, to, you know, to carry, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, when you don't have that, like, and I, I think I really like Middleton. I think he's a great player. But he's not carrying him like a second superstar is. And so now it's up to Bledsoe and Kyle Korver and Brooke Lopez, Eric Bledsoe. Like, now you're depending on guys who haven't done it ever in that situation. You know, guys who haven't been to the NBA Finals. So I think it's an indictment on Budenholzer. Um, he was really laid back after game three, which kind of concerned me. And so was Giannis. Like, we can do this. We'll win this. We can win, still win this series. I think they'll win, uh, you know, I think they'll win today because if not, if they get swept, you don't know what, because now Giannis' status, everything, Milwaukee could blow up. They just built that new arena just for Giannis. Like, they've literally got to figure something out. But I think a lot of that is an indictment on the coach. Yeah, I, I, I fear for Budenholzer if he gets swept, what, what his job might look like just because, you know, you have all these coaches getting talked about for, you know, Philadelphia. You have Steve Nash being hired by the, the Brooklyn Nets, obviously. But, you know, I, I, if, if you get swept 4-0 in the conference semifinals to a five seed, I don't care if it's a bubble situation or not. It doesn't look great. And if you're the head coach, you know, it does fall on you at the end of the day. I mean, like, I would assume that if Mike were to get canned, if Coach Boonholz were to get canned, that would be a very attractive job to somebody out there in the market. Um, but I, I just – I just don't get it. And look, I understand Miami's, you know, a different animal. They're well coached. Spolster is a, it's a terrific coach. Jimmy Butler is built for the playoffs. He's just, after question, his, uh, you know, effort mentality. Bam Adebayo is a problem for a lot of teams. They have a lot of shooting, whether it's Dragic, whether it's Duncan Robinson, whether it's Tyler Hero, uh, you know, Kendrick. No, they have a bunch of shooters. They have a bunch of guys who can space the, the floor. They're the fifth seed. They're the fifth seed for right. a reason. Like, I'm not saying they're bad. Like, they're no. playing class, great ball probably the best team played so far in the bubble, but there's a reason why they they were 11 or 12 games behind Milwaukee in the standings. And I'm not, and that's not because, I mean, nothing against anybody. Like the Celtics handled them pretty well in the, in the two games they played. Like they're not, they're a good team and they're playing well, but I do think when they match up well with Miami and secondly, I also think like, Milwaukee, sorry, Milwaukee. Milwaukee is not playing. They haven't played well in the bubble. They lost something during the pandemic. And Giannis, as much as he's a Greek freak, and he can attack the basket, and he's so impressive to watch. 
I think that there's, I mean, you get a defensive-minded coach like Spolstra some time to prepare for him for consecutive games. He's going to have a game plan. Like, and Giannis continues to try to shoot the three. Giannis, you're not good at shooting the three. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Like, I was watching, I was at game three, and he just, he wants to insist on being a jump shooter. Like, Giannis, you're not. You got to, like, and I think someone put something on Twitter about, like, how his shot, like, during his first early years, he was actually a pretty decent three-point shooter. And they, they, and he had a nice, nice stroke and everything, and something happened to where now he's got, like, the set shot, and he's got to concentrate. And it's just like, no, man, attack the basket or pass it, give and go. Do a pick and roll where you come off and dunk. Like, do something different. But, you know, they're a team that's got their limits. You know, you got Eric Bledsoe. Is, is he a top 15 starting point guard in this league? Uh, I don't think so. I think he's in the bottom 15. Um, I love George Hill. George Hill's a good player. But how much can you ask of him? I think he's done all he can. Brooke Lopez, he's not. A, he's a seven-foot three-point shooter. Um, you know, so here comes all their cracks and weaknesses once Giannis gets knocked down to size, and that's been the problem. You guys brought up Steve Nash, obviously, and uh, we'll we'll let you go on this one. But I I don't know if you were floored by the hire, Gary, as as most people were. You know, the fact this is his first foray of any kind into coaching. I mean, he was off uh, do, doing soccer business, but as we know, two-time NBA uh, MVP and obviously an elite player, all-around great guy, Hall of Famer, all of that. Uh, it, it's going to pain me to root against him because I'm just not a Nets guy. Maybe it goes back to the Nets picks and all of that. And, and frankly, I think it goes back even earlier than that. I've never really been a, a Nets guy, all the more so now with the way that they went out and, and handled their offseason business. I'm just, I'm really curious how this is going to work out. Now, obviously it's not a hire that was made without the, uh, if, if not the blessing, the outright recruitment from the likes of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, but going in and, and, you know, having to oversee two players who are, you know, as, as filled with drama egotistically as they are talented out there on the floor who have won championships, something Nash was never able to achieve. So now he's going out there and telling two players how to do their business at uh, a level that they've already achieved higher than he did, at least on a team level. How do you think this plays out? I think it, I think that he'll get the right guys around him in terms of a staff to make sure that it, it goes smoothly for him. I think Steve's a really smart guy. He knows the game. He has good. He has a lot of respect of the guys around the league who remember his two, you know, back-to-back MVPs and remember him as being kind of a basketball, high basketball IQ, a, a, a real brilliant guy on the floor. So I think it will go well. And I think Steve has a style about him that's very, like, instructional and very, you know, comfortable. Not, I don't see him as a yeller and a screamer. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how this all goes. You know, it's been hit and miss. You remember Larry Bird coached the Pacers. Magic got the Lakers job. Like, you know, some of these times, you know, these teams do grab uh, guys out of the, out of nowhere, out of retirement, and say, hey, coach our team, and you're smart enough to do that. And I think Nash is. But as I said, who knows how it's going to go with Durant and Kyrie. I just think both of those guys are very interesting, mercurial, Will they get along when the when the when the going gets tough? 
They haven't played together yet. They've talked about it and they spent a year together and they're talking all this, you know, we're going to bring the Nets back and all that. Well, what's going to happen when it's teams that want to, you know, you're going to be the target team they're going to want to go after. Um, you're going to be the other team Super Bowl because Kyrie and KD are coming to town. So how is that pressure, you know, and they, and they got talent, Karis LeVert. They played really hard. I don't know why Kenny Atkinson was fired, but I think it was sort of mutual. I think Atkinson was tired of being judged on, on a level that was maybe a little too much. But I also think that um, this team has a potential to be, you know, a contender. But there's a lot of pressure. And, you know, when's Kyrie going to get injured? You ask yourself that. Is Kevin truly healthy now? How's that going to go? Like, uh, it's a lot of questions for a first-year coach, but I do think that's, that Nash will put a staff around him uh, that will help him out and make it a smooth transition. Gary Washburn, national NBA writer for the Boston Globe, who is uh, overly generous with his time. It's why we only bug him every couple of months, but always grateful that you come on here, Gary. Always insightful, and uh, we learn something every time. So thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it, guys. All right, look Thanks, forward to doing it again here real soon with Gary Washburn. Evan and I will continue on here for a little bit and uh, just talk about, obviously, what is going on with the Seas. We're also going to, in a moment, bring in uh, Seth Landman, a, a buddy of mine who you heard on the show a couple weeks ago, who's who was kind of, in a way, the the voice of the fan uh, in the, the most paranoid way, probably, but uh, but that's okay. Um, before uh, Before we do bring Seth in, any big takeaways on what Gary had to say? Uh, the, the effort thing that he talks about, um, does bother me a little bit just because like, that's just not what Boston's known for. And they, now they're in a really tight spot where, you know, lack of effort results in them being one game away from going home. And that's a really a place where you don't want to be. I mean, it really isn't, you don't, and and this is something that's not, you know, the Celtics team staple. This is a team that normally plays really hard start to finish, uh, overachieves right by playing too hard. You know I, that's that's the team that you're used to, not the team that doesn't have that has to be reminded of that. Um, and what was interesting was after Game Three, you know, some of the quotes that coming out after the after the game, like Jalen was so upset and so pissed at himself that that had happened. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great. You know, Jalen's going to be pissed. They're going to be focused up for Game Four. You know, they said all the right things. They didn't do the right things. They they just. They were sloppy, and as Gary, you know, he's detailed it for the past hour about how uh, the Celtics, they could have had a play here, play there, play there, and a little more focused, those things end up going the right way. And if they don't find a way to turn things around, again, I thought after game one, we did the show with Weiss right after the game one, mm-hmm. I was like, this, I don't know if this, I think this is over. Like, I thought, I, I was thoroughly convinced that, like, I'm not quite sure what Toronto does to scheme their way back into this series. Um, but I wasn't willing to go super far into that. After game two, I felt more confident. Um, but the lack of execution that Boston has put out there the past couple of games is concerning. And if they don't turn that around, they're going to be kicked out of the bubble in a series in which they should have won. Well, for anyone that's listening, obviously you can only hear us. If you happen to be watching, you can see Landman there probably grinning like the Joker, just ear to ear, because over the last roughly 
16 hours i've been getting texts from him but north of 100 texts from him and our buddy cory uh just debate debating semantics and effort and energy and focus and getting outplayed and yada 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 so naturally we did have to open our conversation with gary on that same topic i wasn't even considering necessarily going back to the well but because evan just did i'm glad he did we can get seth's thoughts because seth is someone that believes correct me if i'm wrong here landman that uh that while it's by no means over in any stretch, he still thinks the Celtics are going to win this series. And he also believes that, uh, that the Celtics energy and effort was just fine in game four, that, that, that the players are wrong about what they said. Can, can I, can I, can please. I say what? I, okay. Yeah, please. Um, so Hi, welcome. Thank you. I don't exactly think that they're wrong. Like I think I, to me, it's a matter of focus and not energy. Can I give you some stats? Please. Sure. I guess. I got stats. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Well, someone came prepared to the show. Good. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So like against Toronto that you want to keep them out of transition. They're not a great offense unless they get out in transition and you want to make sure you're keeping them away from the rim. Right. Like mm-hmm. these are things that we would say are like obviously true. Uh, I just want to give you, so game three, we let them get out in transition 21% of their possessions in game four. That number goes down to 5%. Um, in game three, 38% of their shots were at the rim. That number is down to 23% in game four. Um, basically what we did to them in game four is make them take a ton of non-corner threes and they made a ton of them. And so like, I, I think there's some stuff to look at with that effort. I think off like Toronto's ability to get offensive rebounds killed us in that game, in game four. Um, and I think, I think there's like maybe a lack of focus um, in certain areas, but I think in terms of like of following the game plan that they're trying to follow, I think they did a way better job in game four of forcing the shots they want to force. They also, the Celtics did a good job of getting to the rim a lot themselves. They were like really good at um, getting to the rim and in the mid range, they just didn't make threes. And I think, um, you know, if this is a game where like, where they make like, three more three pointers out of 35 attempts. Um, We're talking about like a close win and nobody's complaining about their effort. So I just, I don't know. I get a little frustrated when the conversation turns to effort. I think we mean like they blew some assignments because their heads are in the wrong place. Um, And they definitely have to clean that stuff up. But to me, if they clean up the offensive rebounding thing, they're going to win. They're the better team. Something that uh, we did not talk about with Gary, just a billion other things that we hit on. We didn't have time for this one. Kept him long as it is. Guy was uh, way too nice to us. But uh, I was trying to catch a bus to go to the Miami Heat game. Yeah, we, sure. we, we literally kept him just long enough to miss the bus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> would, uh, would, would you like to tell the world, though, Landman, why you hate Ennis Cantor and you believe that uh, he is – even in four minutes of work, killing the Celtics in this series. Yeah, don't don't turn this. It's not about the man. I, like, no, no, no. no. He's, I, look, he's he's a fan. I hate, his, I hate his athletic ability currently. Yeah, so he seems what, like a wonderful person. He is just a horrible basketball player. Well, and let me say another thing. I think that Philadelphia is one of the few teams in the league where you can put Cantor out there, and he serves a real purpose. I think he's got the bulk and the rebounding ability to match up with Embiid pretty well. But in this series, and you know, because I've said this to you a million times, 
the idea of watching him try to guard pick and rolls against two guys as smart as Lowry and Van Vliet is just a nightmare. And we knew that going in. He played four minutes and in those four in game three, and in those four minutes, Toronto got right on offense. Like all of a sudden Van Vliet, Lowry and Siakam are like making open jump shots with no contest anywhere near them. And I think, um, I think we had them in a position before the third quarter of game three, where they did not feel comfortable on the court. Um, and, Gary mentioned that. Yeah. Gary yeah. mentioned that. Instead and of being, I, they went into the half up ten, and then like three minutes later, they're only up four, where they should have been up fifteen. Yeah, I think that's totally it. And like, I know, I I know why they brought Canner in. I get that the offensive rebounding helps you bust the zone, but I'm a little. One of the areas of concern I do actually have is that I think we need Robert Williams in this series. And I think we're going to have to let him play through some mistakes. He's, he, he's got to figure out how to get back out to Ibaka. If that's the one thing he's doing that's making you take him out of the game, I, you got to believe he can figure it out, right? Just stay down. Just don't, just don't bite on the shot fake because you know it's coming. Just yeah. You're long enough, Rob. Just put your hand up. You're long enough. You don't have to worry about jumping. You yeah. know, if you just get – and I love Stevens' philosophy in this. A late contest is better than no contest. Yep. So it's a really big thing. It does screw around with shooters a little bit. Rob, just straight down with your hand up. You're tall they, I know he's do. all seven feet, but it's like just put your hand up. And they do a great job. Him him, and Jalen Brown are the two that jump out at me. At, like, they get so vertical on the contest. They really try to get, like, a hand way up on those late contests. So I think – I don't know. I mean, the I offense – Higher on, on Anobi. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, that's true. He almost blocked that shot. The offense, though, when Robert Williams is on the floor, the offense just hums a lot better. Like, he's a pretty good passer, and the threat of him diving to the rim – means that the shooters are much more open. Um, one more stat for you, by the way. In game four, speaking of shooters being open, 14% of our shots were corner threes, hmm. and we only made 17% of those shots. Um, so the generating that many corner threes is amazing to generate 12 corner threes. In a game, they in game one. They in game one. They had a, a ridiculous amount of corner threes in that game. That's how they killed them. Yeah, and Toronto's great. Another team that's great at contesting threes. But uh, like, I just think if if you look at like the shots that were taken in this game, you would say that the Celtics did exactly what they wanted to do. So I don't know. I mean, so it's like variance for you. It's more just like it was just I, one of those times where the, the shots didn't fall. If the shots are falling, the series went by five. The one thing I would say makes like moves beyond that is the offensive rebounding issue, which is a thing they've cleaned up. And like, I don't know, you're following the Celtics these past few years. We have games like this where because we're a little undersized, we we don't get like they really Used have to it actually. Yeah, they 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 really have to focus on boxing out in order to prevent that. So I I think they can clean that up in Game Five. I'll read this uh, directly from Himmelsbach's observations after game four. Just kind of speaks to what you guys were just talking about. Robert Williams checked in for Tice less than three minutes into the first quarter, had six points, four rebounds, and 13 first half minutes, but played just two minutes in the second half when Boston was outscored 
51-44. Stevens prefers Tyson a matchup against Serge Ibaka, who played more extensively in the second half. But Ibaka had his way anyway, finishing with 18.7 rebounds. So look for Williams to get more of a look in game five. Do we believe that's going to happen? As it should. We all believe it should. Will it? I think he'll get more of a look. The thing I'm concerned about is, like, it does feel like one of these situations where you want to match his minutes to the Gasol minutes. And Gasol is going to start and Gasol is going to play more. Like, are we willing to start Robert Williams? I don't know. Like, I don't know if Brad's going to get there. But I think you could argue, like, I mean, like, it seems to me those guys should both. Like, Toronto's in a similar situation where it feels to me like Ibaka is outplaying Gasol, but they're going with Gasol, right? Like, Mm. um, Ibaka only played 22 minutes. Did he have 18 points? In that game? Yes, he did. And yes. all of them were huge. They were all big yeah. shots. I mean, but I also think Robert Williams, like, he's going to make mistakes. And, and he he's he's like, uh, you know, in Jurassic Park with the dinosaurs, like, learning to open the door? It's like, he's, <laughs> yeah. he can learn how to contest a jump shot. I mean, like, Ugh. he's going to get out to Ibaka. Like, it, <laughs> I, I, I just, I just compare Robert Williams to a dinosaur. <laughs> Well, a Velociraptor. Most yeah, important. the Raptors. Thank you. The, the Raptor. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, we're not comparing him to a dumb dinosaur. We're comparing him to the really smart ones. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. They adapt. What I'm saying is, like, you can see him learning, like, on the fly. It reminds me of, like... Yeah, I just don't understand. Like, he needs to play... Like, go back to game two. He kept him in that, in, in that game. He was, like, 100%. Brad said it after the game. Like, Robert Williams comes in the game in the first quarter. Like, we wouldn't have won this game without him. And then he doesn't... I think... I think the Robert Williams I, – I, if I see Enos Kanter play this series one more time, I'm going to throw my TV out the window. It's I can't handle it. Um, I can't handle it. <laughs> but I just – I find it interesting. The stats you, you, you brought forth are, are interesting. Um, because I didn't obviously dive that deep into it. Uh, but it gives me a little more hope for, for game five other than just, like, effort turning around. They, they schematically – I think Boston has done a good job trying to get the shots they want in this series. And I mean, you know, you know – Granted, Smart's going to take about seven shots a game that I'm going to just have to live with because he's Marcus Smart. He's going to do seven things in the fourth quarter that's going to win a game. Um, but they seem to get where they want to go for the most part. Now, when you know that triangle two came out at first, it threw them off a little bit, and they had kind of figured that out. Mm-hmm. Um, but they generally get the shots they want, and they are getting all these. Like that first game, the corner three was like the biggest storyline of the game. It was like Boston generated yeah. – a billion shots out of the corner, and here's how they did it. And I was like, well, this is interesting. And, and they're still generating those shots. Yeah. So it's just a matter of variance. And, and you know, Jalen Brown hitting a couple threes would go a long way. And, you know, just overall hitting sh- – like, again, what are we – it's a make or miss league, right? Don't we talk about that all the time? No, can, talk, maybe it, anyway. can I yeah. – one more thing, though. One more thing that's giving me a little bit of concern is – Go for it. That this one of, helpful one here. One of the – I'm hopeful, but one, one of the big weapons for this team this year – was that Tatum step back. And I know it's like not the prettiest thing in the world. I mean, when he makes it, it is, but like to have your offense devolve into one guy, just going one-on-one, but mm-hmm. um, man, I, I miss him shooting threes off the dribble. And I, I think like, I, I wish he would hunt those shots a little more. I'm like, it's been super exciting watching him become a better passer. And I think he's, he's made a real leap there, but I like, we might need him to hunt his shots a little more in this series. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Look, I mean, it, I, I think we've all decided between the three of us, Gary Washburn, that uh, Celtics need to go out. Obviously, you know, 
play better, not uh, not strictly energy, just you know, play smarter, execute better. Jalen needs to shoot better. Marcus needs to, you know, be a little more locked in. Kemba needs to shoot more. Tatum needs to be a little more comfortable. Uh, Ennis needs to not play. Williams needs to play more. And uh, boxing you know, out. Brad needs to have a little bit, uh, you know, more control over his rotation. Well, he has complete control, but a little more, maybe more sense behind some of the decisions. And uh, and we'll we'll all feel like we're in a better place. I don't feel like anyone, uh, any of us, was sitting here saying the series is is over the other way and, and, you know, watch out. The Raptors are way too confident. Now this is still an incredibly winnable series that uh, unfortunately would be a lot better if it were three, one, I'm not even talking about game four. I'm talking about game three. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, this uh, would, would have everyone a little bit more at ease looking ahead to the heat instead. This is uh, this, this is very much, look, it's probably going to go seven and which way it goes at that point. I have no idea. Well, if, and 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 it's true that if the Raptors deserve a ton of credit for this, I mean, like I know they game that game three win is a little lucky, but like the stats I'm pointing out from game four, the opposite, they, they were getting what they wanted in game three. We're probably lucky we we were as close as we were in that game, um, and and to the degree that the Celtics are having trouble like focusing, um, Toronto is out there trying to confuse the hell out of you. They're playing all these different defensive coverages and. Um, so, I mean, like th- these teams are incredibly evenly matched and yeah. it, we we're probably, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves after games one and two. Well, it was, I'm trying to remember, I saw it online. I think it was from the Celtics game when uh, one of the players had said to the Raptors, like, how many defenses do you guys have? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's, wow. that's pretty much where things yeah. are at right now. So yeah. anyway, I mean, who's just, for giggles, the two-two series, the best of three at this point. Ultimately, how does this thing play out, the two of you? Season six. I went Raptors in six to start the series. You're resetting uh, your prediction. Um, uh, I think the series is the better team, but I the variance here is what concerns me. And Toronto's been able to survive some variance issues. Um. And obviously Boston can flip things around. And the one thing I'll say is Boston, some of their wins, whether it's in the bubble or outside of the bubble um, against Toronto have been pretty defiant. I mean, they've, they blew them out almost by 40 points in the, in the, in the restart. They beat them. What they were three and one heading into this series against Toronto with some really big wins. Um, I do think they are a better team. I do. Um, the Nick nurse factor uh, is what I, I, it's hard to, to not just give them a bunch of respect because of what he can do. Um, I do think Boston is better though. And I think they'll write the ship, but it's just the last two games have been a little like, yeah, last 0.5 seconds of game three and all of game four, but <laughs> that's again, relatively small sample size in comparison. So I think the Cs are going to win, but um, I, I did, I did say Raptors at six to start the, the, the series. Yeah, I don't remember for the life of me if I even made a prediction going into the series. If I did, it would have been Celtics in seven. So I'm just going to stand by Stick that. that. Yeah. Right? That's, that's you know, because I agree. I think they're the better team. I was, you know, concerned about the Hayward loss from a standpoint of, you know, could they be better enough? But honestly, if they had Hayward, I probably just would have gone Celts in six or something like that. So I'm going to I'm gonna take the seven, stand by it. We want to remind you this show brought to you by 
Uh, of course, betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag today for your free sign-up bonus. We want to thank Landman for hopping on as uh, the concerned voice of the fan who's not as concerned today as uh, he typically is. Thanks for having me. Yeah, like like having a little confidence right now. That's We we need that. As Feel better about it. Yeah, honestly. Good. Uh, <laughs> That's what I'm here for. You've turned our Sundays around. Uh, <laughs> Gary Washburn, uh, thanks always for his time. Evan Valenti, of course. I'm Adam Kaufman. We'll be back with you uh, probably, uh, you know, after the series at this point, because, of course, the Celtics will play uh, tomorrow night, Monday at this point. I don't know what that was, if uh, that even went out over the air. Monday, a uh, 6.30 game in Toronto quotation fingers and then uh, a home game against the Raptors at 640 on Wednesday when the series could end one way or the other but if it goes seven that game is Friday September 11th and uh, in all likelihood in the evening because there's no reason why it wouldn't be so next weekend we will rejoin you and either recap the season and as Gary alluded to where the hell did the Celtics go from here if they lose this series or look ahead to inevitably Miami which would be a much more enjoyable show so hopefully we're doing that Thanks again to Seth, to Evan, to Gary. I'm Adam. Uh, All right. Maybe some Geno time at some point. Bye-bye.